Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. I'm Damien Fantato, Digital Editor of FT Advisor. This month, the Financial Conduct Authority published proposals for what it calls a new consumer duty, which it says would set clearer and higher expectations for firm standards of care towards consumers. The regulator says it is concerned about issues like firms providing information which is misleading or difficult to understand and products and services which don't represent value and poor customer service. It says it wants firms to ask themselves, would I be happy if I were treated like this? Would I recommend my service to my friends and family? So, is this a good idea? How can advisors demonstrate they are taking their duty of care towards consumers seriously? And what changes might be necessary if this duty becomes reality? With me to discuss this are Sally Plant, Head of Financial Planning at the CISI, and Stefan Fuhrer, co-founder of Fernley House. Hello both. Hi. Hi, Damien. So, I'll start at uh, first principles, I guess, and ask you whether you think the uh, consumer duty that the FCA has proposed uh, is a good idea. Sally, what do you think? Um, I mean, anything that um, puts consumers at the heart of businesses, raises professionalism and, uh, you know, the sort of wanted outcome, which is to improve trust, has to be a good thing, right? I think the devil will be in the detail of um, how they produce guidance, which enables firms to assess their impacts and um, the practical guidance around how they are going to monitor this. But I think that, you know, the industry's or the profession has been moving toward outcomes-based regulation for quite some time. So putting consumers' financial objectives at the heart of what planners are doing, I don't think is necessarily new for everyone. It's at the very heart, I mean, cheap early plug, but it's at the very heart of what the CFP is all about. Holistic planning, providing planners with repeatable, robust way to do this. So I think from a professional body's perspective as well, you know, consumer outcomes and enhancing public trust are sort of at the heart of what we're doing. So generally, I think great thing. Be interesting to see how they monitor it and how they expect firms to assess the impacts. Stefan, what do you think? I'd echo a lot of what, what Sally says. I think, you know, anything that is, is setting out to improve things for consumers has to be a good thing. Uh, I think the key question that that we have, as, as Sally says, is the, the actual guidance that comes with this. Uh, I think there's a lot you can read through in the detail of the document, um, which which will, will look very similar to things that we've seen before, I think in particular treating customers fairly. And I think the, the key difference in, in the proposal is this, this element of assessing the effectiveness. And I think that's the bit which is which is going to be the interesting point as to what does that actually mean in practice. I think, as Sally mentioned, you know, as an, as an advisor, uh, an advice industry, I think we've, we we do a lot of consumers at the heart of what we do. Uh, and I think I think there's many good examples of that. I think it's all important to recognise that these proposals are, are very wide ranging, and there are many examples of, of, of different elements of financial services, lending, um, you, know, you know, other sectors within financial services where where where, where maybe they're they're lagging behind what we're doing in financial advice. Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned uh, treating customers fairly there, Stefan. Um, the uh, SCA is consulting on the wording of this of this duty. I think they, they've proposed two options. Uh, one is a firm must act in the best interests of retail clients, and the other option is a firm must act to deliver good outcomes for retail clients. What, based on your reading of this, are advisors going to potentially have to change in the way they operate uh, as a result of, of this? 
I think it's a really important point to state that many financial advice businesses, the majority of financial advice businesses will already be doing this, um, putting the consumer at the heart of what they're doing. You know, the key questions I think you said at the beginning, Damien, which was in the report, it says, would I be happy to be treated in the way my firm treats its customers? Would I recommend my firm's products and services to my friends and family? I think four and a half thousand advice firms have got less than five advisors. Most of those advice firms are going to have many of their friends and family as clients already. Most of those advice firms are built on the basis that they're asking those questions already. So I think, you know, the devil will be in the detail around how we assess that uh, and, and how you can demonstrate assessing that. But I think a key part of the proposals are around how providers and manufacturers of products can also be involved. And this is the bit where I think, I think the SEA and providers really need advisor support to make this a success because the advisors are closest to the consumer. We know what the outcomes are. We, we do a really good job of understanding clients. I think many providers would love to have the kind of client satisfaction many advice firms have. You know, when we survey our clients and we speak to our clients because we're so close to their needs and their, their objectives. So I think the interesting part for me is going to be how we as advisors can help manufacturers and providers and in turn the regulator really refine these to, to, to deliver the best outcome for clients. Stefan, I totally echo that because actually I think in some in some places, some planners might look at this and think, especially those that have gone through a relatively rigorous process, become an accredited firm or a chartered financial planning firm, um, or with any professional body in upholding those sort of code of conduct. I think I think they will be looking at this wondering if it's more aimed towards the sort of product providers and that side than sort of the planning and advising group because they are already looking at the outcomes first. We had um, Mark Gould from the FCA was speaking at our paraplanner conference and, you know, there was there was some questions at the end about letters of authority and how long it takes to get information back and those kind of things. And, and you know, I suppose those product providers are still need to uphold the TCF in the same way as advisory firms, um, but p- potentially some of those will be, you know, from a planner's perspective, they'll be looking at this and thinking, is it more aligned to that area than it is to some of the planning and advisory firms that are already out there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think it's a good point. I think I think the, the problem you have in any in any group of people is the majority of people will be reading this and go, "Well, we already do this." Unfortunately, yeah. as with any industry, there will be examples. We have to recognise there are examples and, and well-publicised examples where customers haven't got the right outcome or the right advice. And, and, and you know, if we're going to address that, we all have to take responsibility for that, the regulator, the providers and the advisors. But I do firmly believe the majority of advisors that we read in this will be saying, I think we're already doing this. I think we're doing it well. It doesn't mean we can't look at ways we can do it better, but I think our starting position is going to be very, very strong for most advice firms. And you're always going to get bad eggs, you know, in every profession. You're going to get the, for every, for every 20, well, every 200, 300, 400 that are outstanding, you're going to get one or two that, that are not. That's, that's quite difficult in any profession to eradicate, I would have thought. I suppose, Sally, there's a tendency to think, well, if I'm not, if I'm not uh, transferring my uh, client's uh, DB tra- uh, pension into a SIP that invests in um, Guatemalan car parks, <laughs> then everything's okay. You're either it's you know you're either at one end of the spectrum or you are the other. Whereas it's more there's you can you can be along the spectrum. Mm. 
Um, yeah, yeah. One of the topics which appears quite regularly in the FCA paper is the issue of communications and uh, the concern that firms across the financial services sector are communicating with customers in ways that make it difficult for them to understand what they're getting, using terms that they might not understand. Stefan, is this an area that you feel advisors can improve on? Well, I, I think I think uh, as advisors we can always look to improve, but I think that uh, good finance advisors are at heart good communicators because otherwise how have they built up their businesses? You know, they communicate with clients on a daily basis. I think the communication part of this is, is an area where the FCA really needs to really needs to look at what they can do in this area. And again, I go back to the point I made, which is that you know, large a large amount of financial advice firms fit within that less than five advisor category, and and so as a result, they don't have the kind of infrastructure in place to be able to to really you know read through all the rules and legislation and really make an informed point on them because the rules are, are open to interpretation. They're rules that, that, that what I think the advisor population is craving from the SCA is a little bit more from from examples, you know, more, 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 more examples of good and bad practice. And I think in communication, that's probably the one area where we really could do, we can, we can improve that. I think if you sat down with a room full of advisors and said, look, how can you communicate this or this to, to clients? I think they'd have a really good instinct of how they'd want to do that. What I think can tend to happen is then this, this kind of additional stakeholder of the FCA comes into consideration uh, and advice firms can be worried around, can I say that? Am I allowed to say that? Can I say it in this way? Can I say it like this? And that's the bit where I think um, I think there can be barriers of a better communication with clients because of some of the rules and, 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 and the vagueness of some of the rules that are in place at the moment. Mm. Sorry. Um, no, I suppose just to follow on from what Stefan's saying, Amish, they've put in the paper, interestingly, that they wish all the options or the options um, available to consumers to be communicated and, and, so, and understandable. But then, you know, there is also that they don't want too much information that it hinders decision making. So, you know, the FCA will need a bit of, to offer a bit of guidance on where that line is. But also, I think there's a second part to this, and this is sort of, I suppose, the communicating of information. But you also don't want firms to lose their independence of branding or change the way they, you know, they personalise the way they communicate with their clients. Um, so there needs to be a bit of a balance, I think. Mm-hmm. I suppose one of, the, one of the things that you often hear from the financial ombudsman service is that advisors don't need to use suitability reports to rule out every single option to sort of go through all the options and say, well, we haven't recommended this because, we haven't recommended this because. But what you, as you said, Sally, what you've just said would appear to suggest that the FCA does sometimes think advisors should do that. So it's, there's a, la- a lack of um, consistency, maybe. I, I think you know, consistency is one way of looking at it. I think it's, it's part of it is the joined up thinking of, of us working together to try and address some of these issues, which I think is where we could all do a bit bit more. Um, because I think that, you know, when you do spend some time with the FCA and ask them on some of these points, they can give you they can give you valuable information. The issue is, is does that communication happen enough? Um, you know, does, does that, that there is... The relationship could be better, I think, between advisors and the regulators so that we work in collaboration because a good advice firm and a good regulator should care about the same thing, which is the, the consumer's outcomes and doing the best for our, our consumers. So actually, if we could work a bit more together on some of these issues, 
I think that would be a better way of going about it. Whereas at the moment, it can become a, it can can become a little bit them and us. And and you know, suitability letters is probably one of the biggest examples of that, where there are mass divergence of people's opinions mm-hmm. and views on what needs to be in a suitability letter, what doesn't, what 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 we should do, what we shouldn't do. And I think we're missing the question there because I think too many firms are spending time worrying about what the FCA wants in the suitability letter, when actually what we should all be thinking about is what does the customer want to see in that in that suitability report and what do they need? And that, that surely is what we should all be caring about. Mm-hmm. Sally, one of the other areas which has uh, been picked up on in this report is the area of price and value for money. Mm-hmm. And the FCA has raised this issue before quite recently in, in relation to advice. In its market study last year, it warned of advice fees clustering around the same price points and uh, some advisors were charging more for services that weren't noticeably different from firms that were charging less. Um, do you feel that um, advice firms are doing enough on, on this area, that there's more that, that they can do? Well, I mean, it would be good to start with probably greater transparency, um, whether that leads to standardisation or not. You know, you look at, I mean, an example might be something like food, right? I know it's... Um, nowhere near as complex as the products we're doing but you go to the supermarket and you get your discounted price but underneath there is the price per liter which helps you compare consumer compare easily and you know transparency is probably needed first and then we once we've got a bit more transparency or standardization you could then look at the price uh, again you know price and value but obviously our, our products are not food products and they're far more complex. So I think transparency comes first on this one. Mm. Stefan, what do you what do you think? I mean, I, I may be coming at things from a slightly different angle because I think, you know, Sally's point around a, a relative comparison is I think go back in time a few years that, that did exist because most people were you know, pretty much the market was charging a percentage of assets whereas now we see different charging structures and different methods of charging and different ways of approaching it which which I think is probably stepping further away to being able to do that and my, my worry when we talk too much around price we don't talk enough about value and I think it's the value for money which is the really important part and, you know, there's there's massive amounts of evidence and research demonstrating that clients get better outcomes by going and receiving financial advice. And I, and I think, you know, so, so what we really should be focusing on is the value for money that's being offered by the advice that's being provided. And I think that links back to one of the elements of this 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 review, which is how you are assessing, you know, how you are assessing what you're doing for the consumer's benefit. And I think when we talk about value for money, how we can assess that we're delivering a fair and reasonable value for the fees we're charging, I think is is, is what we have to do as an advice business. I think that's a really good point as well, because sometimes the value comes in a bear market. You know, when you're not winning or when you're not making as much money for your consumer, that's when the real value comes in. So I totally agree with Stefan. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's, there's a broad, the beauty of our industry is there's a broad base of advice firms that have different propositions. So Sally mentioned earlier around communication styles, similar point from advice and what different firms have different strengths and weaknesses and different clients are looking for different things. So it's great to have that choice, uh, but being able to assess value is ultimately at the, you know, it's ultimately down to the consumer themselves to assess are they receiving value for the fees that, for the fees that they're charging and i think you know we have to focus on as an advice industry over the last few years i think we have massively evolved and improved the outcome of, of the product of advice should we say because the quality of how we deliver that advice 
the, the, the take up and usage of cash flow planning, uh, the, 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 the ever increasing sophistication of uh, risk planning and objectives and understanding and assessing what you're trying to achieve. I think if we go back five, 10 years, it's massively improved. So you know, when we, if we just talk about the charges and fees we're doing, but don't talk about the quality and service and outcomes we're delivering, we won't get the, we won't get the true sense of value of the advice. And I think what we have to be really careful of if we just focus on fees we charge, there's a real danger we squeeze margins of advice firms, and that makes it even harder for advisors to deliver service to the smaller clients. The, the people who really really do with valuable advice becomes harder and harder to obtain. I'm more worried about people not receiving advice than I am at the moment around where fees are at. Mm. And Sally, just to round this discussion off, what steps do you think advice firms can take to make sure that they're demonstrating that they take their duty of care to consumers seriously? We mentioned a little bit earlier in the discussion that some advisors might think, well, I'm I'm doing all right. What questions can advisors ask themselves? What areas can they look at? I suppose, you know, it comes back to this. Are you ensuring that you're missing, not missing any client needs? Are you ensuring that you're looking at things holistically, not an investment in isolation? If someone comes to you with a lump sum to invest, uh, maybe they've inherited it or something. Are you not just looking at the, the investment opportunity, but also offsetting that with whether they should pay a bit off their mortgage or whether they should even, if they're not very high risk takers, look at some premium bonds for a couple of years? So basically looking as a planner at everything holistically rather than in one investment opportunity but as, as i saying you know i think professional trend towards this sort of goals-based holistic planning has been happening for some years and will continue so whilst this might not be anything new for some people perhaps this consultation is really pushing people to create a sort of robust more repeatable process that they can go through so they can demonstrate that they're doing this this style of planning which is, which is the way to go mm. so, so Stefan what do you think um, advisors can be doing to uh, make sure that they are taking their duty of care towards consumers seriously well I think the starting position is as advisors is sharing best practices with each other and I think you know the, the trade presses like yourself Damon do a good job of, of, of advertising these good practices I think what we do in our advice business focuses it in a couple of different areas to start with on the bottom up engaging clients with feedback you know we use things like trust pilot and client questionnaires we also do client feedback events and ask them you know what what what, what can we be doing more of and what, what what should we be doing differently um and then i think if you're looking at your firm at the moment thinking what can i do more how can you engage clients in, in the governance of your firm is it client representation on your board is it client representation in your investment committee we're on a journey as an advice firm to become a B Corp, and B Corp just enshrines our commitment to, to other stakeholders other than just shareholders. So our clients, our staff, um, our community and the environment we have. We have an independent advisory board that, that encompasses a couple of our clients, but holders account on those points. And there are many different frameworks like that that exist that advice firms can, can look to, to join or, or instill within their business that can really give them a framework to operate and continue to operate in a very client-friendly way. Great. Thank you, Stefan. And thank you, Sally. And thank you for listening and tuning again next week for the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 